Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, welcome everybody. Scott Luton right here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Hey, on today's episode, we're going to be talking with a technology thought leader, taking a deep dive into his journey and his professional background, as well as some of his point of view and expertise on what we're seeing, not just across the, the technology landscape, but the entrepreneurial landscape as well. So don't miss this entertaining and informative discussion we'll be having here today. A quick programming note before we get started. If you enjoy this conversation, hey, make sure you find Supply Chain Now wherever you get your podcast from and click subscribe so you don't miss conversations just like this one. All right, special guest here today. I want to introduce my friend. So our featured guest has built and enabled digital transformation programs around the world. He's held leadership positions at a few of the biggest, most recognizable technology platforms that many in industry work and depend on. In fact, our guest has worked with more than 50 Fortune 1000 companies in a wide variety of capacities, including advisory positions. He's also very well connected in the Silicon Valley startup and VC community, having advised many startups on how to break through to the next level. So please join me in welcoming Sarbjeet Jahal. Sarbjeet, good afternoon. How are you doing? Scott, doing good. Thanks. That was a very flattering introduction. <laughs> well, hey, I, I, I follow you across social media. I keep my finger on the pulse of what you're doing. And you are a mover and shaker and you keep it real, which I really admire in social. It's, it's all because of friends like you and they keep me honest and we talk offline as well. Hey, how I'm doing and I, we give feedback to each other, very candid feedback. You know, I, I, I seek that and I give it. So I think uh, that keeps us honest and more like... Um, natural relatable yeah it, it's fun actually i'm having fun it's a blast and it makes us better right yeah. yeah feedback i've got a dear friend sarbjeet phil Addison with art of procurement that taught me something or i stole this phrase from him feedback is a blessing feedback is a blessing so just remember that as you're getting maybe a lot of feedback from one person in particular it is a blessing indeed right yeah actually it, it takes courage to tell the truth actually and most of the time and truth sometimes is kind of not that you know sweet pill if you will sometimes it's like hey but you you want to be nice you want to be respectful and and you can tell when somebody is telling you the truth for you to improve in certain areas and then other trying to help you or they're trying to be mean and stuff like that so you can easily we can easily as human beings can sniff that out yes and um, always uh, appreciate somebody is taking that time to tell you about, you know, they are giving feedback, you know, their time is valuable, right? So Agreed. always appreciate that. Well said. All right. So Sarbjeet, before we get into some of the, some of your hardcore expertise, when it comes to technology, cloud, digital transformation and startup stuff, let's, let's get to know you a little better. So Sarbjeet, tell us, where did you grow up? I grew up in a small village in India, a Northern state called Punjab. And I was in a small village and yeah, very simple life. I belong to a farming family. My father went to school till the fourth grade. My mom dropped out of second grade. So my parents are not educated as we call education these days, but I think they're educated, but they're less schooled, if you will. Schooling and education are two different things. I always say that. Yeah. And yeah, that's where I grew up. And uh, my aunt used to live in Birmingham in England. And they used to visit us uh, very early when I was little. So that had, had some impact on me and, and a lot of, uh, um, a, yeah, a lot Love of that. other sort of things happening around me in, in that small setting, which uh, shaped my thinking and, and, and brought me where I am today. So let's talk more about that. So obviously your aunt played, your mom and dad, but also your aunt played a big role in your upbringing. What, what's a couple lessons learned? that they instilled in you, Sarbjeet? I think uh, belonging to a farming family, it, it teaches you about patience. You know, you wait for the crop to go to the harvest sort of season for six months and you're putting all that effort in, and then and then you're waiting and waiting. 
and you're nurturing that stuff, right? So in 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 tech in our industry, we talk about uh, hunters and farmers and people who grow stuff and people who hunt and stuff like that. So I I can relate to it. I have I've lived that world. So that was one having patience and and hard work and and just being very sincere in your in your dealings. Like like you know always thinking like wherever you go, whatever you do, you think it is, you're doing it for, for, for yourself. It's, it's, it's not like you're doing somebody a favor. Right. So if you do a good job, you will look good. If you do a bad job, it's, it, you will look bad. So that kind of thinking was instilled uh, from, from the early on. And especially from my mom, my dad was busy as a typical um, male figure <laughs> during those times, but mom was more uh, interactive with uh, us. Yeah. Mm. And your aunt that would visit from Birmingham, England, what knowledge or, or insight does she bring you? And does she ever bring any gifts with, <laughs> with for you from England? Yeah. I, I, whenever I think about those gifts, I like my, my, my smiles go up. Yeah. She used to bring uh, clothes for us because we, we being in a village, if I showed you a photo, I actually have a photo when I was, uh, I think maybe three, four years old. You were like, it's like we are from the Stone Age or something, people, right? Like in a village. But she will bring more like modern Western clothes, sometimes like suits of our little kids, you know, like the, the, the jacket and very nice looking suits. Uh, like uh, you make you look like a little old man, if you will, gentleman. <laughs> and I will wear that to the, my high school and elementary, and then I will stand out and I'll feel special. And also, along with that, what now I, when I, as I have gotten more older, I can look back. She brought a lot of thinking, ideas with her, which were more important than the gifts. The gifts looked better back then, but ideas look more important than gifts now. So how people live in England, our girls have the same power for, for getting education, all that stuff, thinking she brought in and better sanitation for us in village. Like, you know, we were not doing that great because everybody else around was like that. It improved our, our thinking level and, and living standard in many ways. Wow. So I want to touch on one more thing about you were telling me pre-show about athletics in India. And, right. you know, this we're recording today's episode. It'll be released in a few weeks. So this news will be a few weeks old by the time we release this episode. But India's field hockey team just meddled in the Olympic games. And, and so give us a little, you were sharing a little bit of inside track history on that. Tell us more. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I as I told you, I'm from the, this Northern state Punjab. Uh, it's called bread, bread basket of India. It's like California of India, if you will, Punjab. And then all these farming uh, families, um, uh, their kids played hockey, field hockey and field hockey was very, it's, it's still India's national game, by the way. So they, they won a bunch of gold medals in Olympics starting, I think, in the 60s, 1960 and onwards, right? And then they lost that touch. And since 1980, they haven't actually they won the most goals in field hockey. All time. All time. Like no other country has won eight goals so far. But then they fell off the grid. They couldn't even qualify for Olympics. And, and finally, after 41 years, they got a bronze medal. And a big portion of that team is from our state. India has uh, 27 states, I think these days, they keep changing number, 20, used to be 25. So it's a, it's a pretty big country, right? But those players for being from that area, uh, it felt like, like our kids or our younger brothers uh, won that. And then also the women's team also made it to semifinals. Uh, wow, as outstanding. Well. So, it sounds like it. Uh, it sounds like the Cubs when they finally won the World Series a few years back, and you know, after all that history. But to have a legendary program like the India field hockey team that that eight gold medals, the most ever all time, and they go through that that drought period, uh, you should be celebrating these recent wins, especially in these challenging set of circumstances. So that's good news to me. Yeah, news. Okay, one final question, and then we'll get into the heavier lifting. Mm -hmm. So if we were to poll your aunt and folk and parents and, and who you grew up with and who you, and you since then who you work with, what is one attribute or trait that they would say, yes, that is definitely Sarbjeet. I don't know. It's hard to tell, talk about yourself in 
nothing <laughs> positive note but i think they will they will say that he's there when you need him so that that i think they will say and i'm always there for my friends and family um yeah just they just need to i just need to know that there's a need and i'm there love that in fact i love some of the you're such a great follow on social in particular twitter i've learned a ton from what you've shared there and i love the pictures of course in this era where all events are digital and so a lot of folks have been swapping images of events when the day's gone past and looks like y'all had a blast and you were certainly there in the thick of things sarbjeet i love that so one of the things i was looking forward to as part of this conversation you, you you've appeared with us on uh, the supply chain buzz which is every monday at 12 noon but we didn't we couldn't take in that interview take a deeper dive into your journey cuz you know you've worked with a ton of highly recognizable big brand companies and startups and all points in between. So if you could, uh, in, instead of going position by position, which I bet yeah. would be fascinating, but for the sake of time, share a couple of positions that really helped shape your worldview as you were navigating through your professional journey. Yeah, that's a great question. I think my worldview is informed from my upbringing, number one, number two, my education, number three, my work experience, right? So um, upbringing from being from a rural area, so I, I keep that in mind. There's a big portion of the world lives in rural areas. So when we talk about diversity, it's not only the diversity by race or gender or color, it's also by economic conditions and also by state, like a metro to the village, like a small town, you know, people needs to be brought right. into the into the sort of game, if you will. So that's uh, one side of things. And the second is my ed education, I'm economics major. Uh, so that informed me in my decision making and and forming my worldview of like being a systems thinker. I sort of mixed that with from technology side to the economics of of things. And it's a dangerous mix, Sarbji. Yeah. It's a dangerous mix. It's a dangerous mix. Actually, I think it's a very cool mix. Actually, it makes a good recipe for uh, putting your ideas and your narratives out there. So the third thing is, of course, my work experience, right? I will mention a couple of things. Like one is that when I was, um, after a master's, I was pursuing my PhD degree and I was in Chandigarh, which is capital of Punjab uh, state here in India. And I used to work with a think tank that, you know, working with a think tank where everybody else was PhD and you were pursuing your PhD, <laughs> it, it was fascinating. I, I worked with the World Bank advisors, IMF advisors, and many scholars from US, UK, and other countries, they, they will visit us. We will have all these meetings and publish the research. It was, it was a great environment. And it, that never got out of my mind, you know, uh, the, the value of research, uh, pre and post programs, you know, like many times we do studies before we launch something. Right. Uh, especially when the programs are bigger, you want to make sure that, you know, money you're putting in is going to the right direction. And many times you want to analyze what you did and did were you uh, successful? If you were not, what were the lessons learned and all this stuff? So the value of those analysis, I think it, it, it stuck to me. And during my work career, I worked with the only company I have worked with, which was sort of non-tech in a certain way was Visa International. Mm -hmm. Most of my career has been with big tech giants like VMware, uh, EMC, in um, and uh, Rackspace and Oracle and PeopleSoft, I worked there uh, as well. And a company called Commerce One, that actually was one of my best tenures. Um, uh, which one was? I, which Commerce one? one? Commerce One, a B2B darling during dot-com days. Many lessons learned, learned there. What, like I usually say like you go to companies, some companies you will go to in your career, you will learn what to do. And there, there are many companies you will go to and you will learn more of what not to do. And that's equally important. I think it's more important to know what not to do than what to do. So uh, I will, I'll, I'll stop it there. I can keep going. <laughs> that's a litany of uh, some of the who's who's list on big technology players. What's one thing if I could follow up really quick. I think you can learn as much, if not more on what not to do as you can when folks tell you what you should do during those corporate positions during those those uh, big tech positions mm -hmm. was there what, what was the, your chief learning of what not to do as a leader 
Oh yeah, yeah, that's easy for me actually. I've seen that happen like two times in my career with two of my companies I've worked with. The one thing you don't want to do is like change the narrative on the fly. It confuses the heck out of the market and uh, people will shun you as a, as a customer. Even if they love you, uh, your people, they will say like, these people don't know what they're doing, right? So that happened at Commerce One. We change the direction like uh, you're going at a certain speed, you know, like if you know you're driving, you always use analogies, you're driving fast, you know, and then you take a 90 degree turn, what happens? You, you crash. You flip, you crash, right? <laughs> right. So you crash. People crash when they take turns at high speed. So um, you got to slow down. You got to you got to give the ample time to the market to digest that yeah, you're you're pivoting and stuff like that. And you don't want to uh, piss off your customers who, who love your what you used to do. I also use, usually use the analogy of like a, a restaurant, right? Use food analogies and, you know, Madison analogies in my talks. Like, just imagine you, there's a restaurant in a city like you live in. And let's say it's a, they have, they're known for Mexican food and it's a Mexican restaurant, right? And they're known. And all of a sudden they put a board on their on front, in front of their building and in the newspaper locally and on digital these days. Like, oh, we do best sushi, right? Guess what happens, right? right? People who like sushi, they're not going to go there because they oh, no, they will say, no, these people are not sushi people. They are known for uh, Mexican food and I don't want to go there, right? And people who used to come to you, they will get equally confused. It's like, what? Like, they have, they must have hired new chefs and they are not doing the what they used to do. I'm not going to go there. Right. So it confuses the heck out of the market and, and don't change the messaging, the narrative. You the, you have to control your narrative. You have to control your story. You are in charge of that. I love that because confused buyers don't yes. become completed buyers that make the transaction oftentimes. So that's, that's a wonderful tip. So take your time. Words matter. Your message, your positioning matter. Uh, do it in a deliberate and planned out manner. So let's, let's talk about digital transformation. So by all accounts, you know, you're a real, I know this, this word, this phrase thought leader gets tossed around everywhere these days, but you know, you're the real deal, Holyfield, right? When, especially when it comes to digital transformation, cloud technologies, you've already spoken towards, let's talk about digital transformation right now, because whether you like it or not, whether you're, you're actively engaged in transforming your business digitally or not, you're going through it. <laughs> it's just yeah. how much progress you're making. Uh, or lack thereof. So two point, two part question here. So first off, what have you seen? Uh, what one or two things have you seen companies get right when it comes to digital transformation? And on the flip side, what's that, what's those one or two things that come that some companies just can't stop doing the mistakes they're making when it comes to their uh, DT strategy? Yeah, I think those, that those are loaded questions. They're sort of litany of factors. The, the one thing which the successful companies who are digitally transforming, they're getting it right is the, the rate of experimentation or what, you call, what I usually call A-B testing on their business models, on their product, how they create stuff, how they market it, how they sell it. So they, they, they ha like a, handle it holistically, right? Not just one part of it, right? And they, they are um, bolder in their vision as well. And they their senior leadership is on board it's not like half-hearted sort of uh, approach they take they 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 announce it but at the same time they they make that change and some smaller chance it it, it sort of um, jibes well with what i earlier said that what the approach is that they don't take sharp turns right so they can create digital twins they they don't disturb the, their existing customers uh, at the same time, they give them the choice to move to the newer way of doing things. And uh, it takes courage, it takes investment, it takes patience, um, it takes talent. It, that is the key. And um, good leaders always hire the best talent, I believe. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And they're engaged and, and it, it's a right. priority for them, mm -hmm. what I'm hearing. I love that. So on the flip side, beyond the reverses of some of those things you've shared, what are some of the other mistakes that you're seeing companies make when it comes to digital transformation? I think um, the big mistakes on the flip side is like the, anybody who tries to do a big bang approach, they usually like most often than not, they fail. 
So you can't have like, okay, like we're going to change everything within the next three or four years. You can't, can't just do big bang approach. You have to, you want to change everything, but you want to like take smaller bites. I usually say it's age of micro consumption. Uh, and that means it's age of micro change, right? And it's micro age of micro production as well as if you're when you're a supplier, you want to give uh, change to your organization in very smaller chunks. And also you want to change the way your organizations are laid out. And people, when they don't change the, their organizational change, change, sort of layout and they're looking for change, it won't happen. Uh, there's, a, there's a thing called Conway's Law, um, and you can look it up. And Conway's Law actually says that in technical or so engineering-focused organizations, what you produce, um, that outcome will mimic almost like the, your organizational structure. If your org is like very fat kind of thing, you will produce that kind of, those kind of products and or services, like very monolithic in nature. If your organizations are lean, uh, you will create lean, like microservices kind of things, or smaller. You will release smaller things at, at a time, and and I'm a big fan of uh, micro consumption. Sort of so that narrative. I, I talk about it every time I talk to anybody. I sprinkle that in there because I think somebody somebody will gravitate to to this idea, and I know people who are doing it. Uh, I think my I think um, Amazon has mastered the game. My, Microsoft has copied that from them. They used to be very very good at that, and then they lost the touch. Microsoft for a while, and then they're gravitating towards that. So the whole idea is, for example, when you look at AWS, right, their cloud right. services. Yep. They they release like one little tiny service every you know let's say six days or, or eight days, whatever that is. And in a year, they end up releasing a lot more than their competitors, but it's very digestible. Right. As a, as a developer, as an architect, I can learn that thing, a small thing, and I can weave that into my day-to-day -day stuff, right? Right. As compared to another vendor, their competitor, for example, I will not name the names because I'll be shaming them. <laughs> and they, they will release like 30 things, you know, every three months or, right. or 60 things every uh, six months. And it, it's it's monolithic in nature. It, it, it people go like, I can't, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have time to you know, read all your release notes and this and that. So, right. yeah. One bite, at, a, one bite, one step at a time. Yes, yes. Is a, is a big best practice. I'd also add, uh, not not from a technology standpoint, but um, from a continuous improvement standpoint, of course, that incremental uh, advancement and gains. GE, L L GE was uh, was famous for that back in yeah. the traditional GE days. I'll call it. You know, don't give me twenty five points. You know, from year to year, but give me that steady drum beat of you know two to three points of improvement. And 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 I love it how you apply that to uh, technology gains. And and that's that's some of the good things you're doing. Lead that you're seeing leaders do when it comes to digital transformation. Because you know, when I think about big massive projects and, and the non one bite here, one bite there, mm -hmm. I think of these long, these these 127 slide PowerPoint presentations and long emails about how to and step-by-step, -step, 3000 steps. Who does have time for that on top of what they're they're trying to get done in their day-to-day? -day? So I love that Sarbjeet. Yeah, actually, uh, Scott, I, I'm just elaborating a little yeah. bit on that because it's very important, I think, it, it, is that in, in your communication as well, you want to release that in micro chunks as well, you know? So that is very important. Your your marketing has to be done in, mar in smaller chunks as well. Uh, you, yes, you want to have a bigger umbrella sort of store, um, stream, if you will, but um, you... People don't have attention for for to listen to read a white paper these days, or read like you know a long blog. You know, just be quick and respect their time and come to the point very quickly. And it just that's 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 what works. And be honest, you know, and also be humble uh, when you make a mistake as a brand. You know, own it. And those are the things which are I think super important. I love that. I may be in trouble in this succinct era that we're living in, Sarbjeet, but. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, we lead into it and embrace it. Mm -hmm. I want to shift gears. So as a, as a founder and entrepreneur, I love a lot of the thought leadership and, and the comments and the conversations you drive out there, especially in, including what you do to engage and support and invest in the entrepreneurs out there in your market that you live in uh, on the West Coast near Fremont. So 
I want to dive into that more. So we're going to shift gears from digital transformation to talking more about Sarbjeet, the startup advisor, investor, the startup whisperer, so to speak. So what are, whether it's some of the startups you're involved in or some of the startups that you're admiring from afar, what, what are some that's, that's uh, impressed you and really hit your radar here lately? Yeah, actually, I got that bug uh, when I was working uh, at Rackspace. I used to work with 500 Startups Incubator, which is number two incubator in the Bay Area after Y Combinator, right? So Y Combinator is number one. They go sort of neck to neck with uh, uh, Techstars. Techstars is nationwide. It's funny enough, they don't have any presence in the Bay Area. We have plug and play and we have like, we have hundreds of incubators here in the Bay Area, but, but these two are the main. Uh, Y Combinator and uh, 500 Startups. So I got that bug from there um, because we had a pro marketing program with them and I, I used to go to demo days and I said, oh my God, these two people coming from a different country so many times and, and you know, just college graduates, uh, they get together and cook something up and, and launch it out there. No fear, uh, they travel thousands of miles and sometimes get special visas to come here to start these companies. And I saw like Walmarts of the world and PayPal pals of the world sitting in the audience. And many times they will acquire this company and what we usually call talent acquisition. Two young lads, I, uh, I'll give you an example. They built a piece of software which digitizes your seats and McDonald's, not McDonald's, uh, Walmart people were sitting in the, in the audience on demo day. They acquired their company right that day when they saw that idea and uh, they pay them i think between one and two million dollars and for the young kids it's, it's a lot of money like just they just started six months back right. so walmart said that we will save you know you know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars they spend every month on on the paper to print the receipts right so the because volume dictates the savings if you will and um that's that just one example but it happened all the time so I, I wanted to do that in East Bay, where I live on this side of the bay. And when I got an opportunity, I invested money into uh, in a new incubator called Batchery. And we opened that uh, next to UC Berkeley, uh, two blocks away, and brought it to life. Uh, and that incubator has taken 100 plus uh, startups through the program so far. Okay. And how old is the Batchery? How old is the Batchery? Yeah, Batchery is, uh, I think seven, eight years old now. Yeah, seven, eight years old. It was a baby idea. And then we got together and put money into it and brought it to life. And then, then I started interacting with VC community and academia being close to UC Berkeley. And then the other people from the other side of the Bay, you know, from, from Stanford and other, other schools will come there, professors and all that. They, the thing, the one actually, just a side note here, is that um, I usually talk about this uh, this thing that the gap between what we teach in academia and what we practice in industry is there a big gap, and that gap is different in different geographies. In the Bay Area, that gap is gap is very narrow. That's why Bay Area is Bay Area, because um, we are intermingled like this. Especially Stanford, like all Google came from Stanford and all right. these big companies. Founders of Instagram, I think it met at uh, Stanford. Yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff came from Stanford, and we we know that other companies come from East Coast schools as well. You know, those people, Mark Zuckerberg moved from Harvard to here to do stuff and, and got other Stanford people in there. So I think um, that is, it's a, I always talk about this proximity, you know, proximity is very important. Proximity, your physical proximity and your thought proximity, you know, that uh, your cultural proximity uh, is very important and you got you want to leverage that so i'm going into tangent here i know you asked me like what what areas i'm really okay. passionate <laughs> passionate about in startups and i am passionate about like all the these uh, new breed of uh, startups which are working on the ai and uh, um and in M ai ops what they call it, um in, in because i traverse in cloud area a lot you know right. that's my my thing you know if you will so any company which is trying to automate, take the automation to the next level using the machine learning, right? So, so things are self-correcting and self-managing and self-scaling. That that we're going there, and there's a, there's a lot of investment going into those areas, and I'm fascinated by those startups. And I, from the startups I advise, 
uh, some of the, them are in this area, some are not. Some are like just trying to solve the traditional, you know, problems right. and, 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 and operational problems for your efficiency kind of related startups. Well, you know, going back, speaking on AI, if I can interject for a second mm -hmm. here, I, you know, one of my favorite uh, aspects of our last conversation with you and my typical co-host, Greg White, partner in crime. Yeah, he's awesome. Man, when y'all when y'all got together and okay. we're talking about real artificial intelligence and versus all the the labels and the me too's that are oh, out yeah, there, yeah, yeah. it really was fascinating. Uh, speak to that for a second because that you hear the you know artificial intelligence AI that's out there. It, it um, marketing professionals, hey, hey, more power to them. They've really embraced that and slapped that label and everything. But speak to that for a second because I think some of the more powerful platforms companies, startups, uh, you name it, that really enables true AI-driven technology. Those are ones moving the needle versus it being a, a marketing component. Speak to that for a second, if you would, Sarbjeet. Yeah, I, I think AI, even though AI is a very old term, people say that, oh, we have been doing this from since, since 60s and 70s and all that stuff. But I, I think we're just in the very early stages of it, right? And, and many times, like, something can be there but it cannot take off because there's things which needs uh, we need a sports structure around everything you can build a rocket at home but you can't launch at home you need a launch pad right, <laughs> right. so you need all kind of bells and whistles like you know the pad and, uh, and you know safety and all that there are regulations in, in many cases in, in a few industries so long story short i think the convergence of technology is what makes something go like Fly, start flying very fast. And I think it's a convergence of faster compute, better networks, faster storage. And on top of that, the, the, on the software side, the, the once we got the hold of, you know, REST APIs, like we, we tried different things. We tried uh, CORBA, we tried IIO, IIOP, people who are very technical, they will know what I'm talking about. We tried DCOM from Microsoft for gluing things together. Right, the uh, digital glue was not there till we got REST APIs, and REST is everywhere now, and I, I strongly believe in that. So, answering your question, um, I think you have to think of um, AI as augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence. I always say that it's just augmentation of human uh, intelligence. There's no way we can replace the human intelligence with um, the machines trained by data it's it's it not we are not near that and anywhere near that right now um because data is after the fact thing we know that right and and we can predict things as humans and um i usually say that that a smarter system is the one which can take into account most number of variables while making a decision or most number of parameters if you will if you're a coder, you understand that when you write a function, you pass the parameters to it, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. that I, you know, uh, remember that? Okay. <laughs> Sarbjeet, I started in computer science in college, working awesome. with uh, C++ and compilers and wow. the iterative aspects of, of learning how to do that. And I found out quickly that that was not my gift <laughs> in life. So you took me back for a second to those painful yeah. first semesters or two uh, learning C++. But anyway, I digress. Remember? Remember the pointer to the pointer to the pointer? Remember those discussions? <laughs> what, what is it? You know, so, and that's why actually uh, abstraction is our friend in, in, in software, in systems, actually in general, but in software in particular. And uh, we abstracted C with C++, right? On that note, I took a picture with the C++ founder, uh, Starstruck Bernerjee, I can never say his name right, uh, at here in Mentor Graphics in 95, actually. I, I still have that picture here with me. Awesome. So I'm a geek. Well, <laughs> well I saw, you know, speaking of pictures, famous pictures, I, I saw a picture of you, I believe it, um, Twitter's headquarters. headquarters. Yeah, I went right? there, yes. <laughs> That's yes. got to be pretty cool. Did you, was that a visit or was that, did y'all do some work together or what? No, I, uh, my neighbor actually works there. Okay, here in Silicon Valley, our neighbors, we don't make many times we don't know, the, don't know their names. Like we don't have to remember their names. We'll say, that's Google, that's Cisco, that's, you know, Google, <laughs> like Facebook, that's Twitter. So, oh, um, love it. yeah, love I, it. I, I went for lunch with uh, my buddy there and I know like quite a few people there. 
in, in at Facebook as well. I know a bunch of people there. It's like you can't avoid it. living here for 25 years. These companies are born after that. So a right. bunch of people I know they work there. Yes. Yeah. Continue now on this, this kind of getting back onto the startup uh, segment here. So clearly you're an advisor. You've been, you know, some of your professional career has been with some, the early stage companies, you were an investor. Clearly you have helped found a incubator to help many startups called, you know, the battery that you, you, you mentioned. So two points here. Mm-hmm. What do you look for when it comes to investment as, you know, personally as Sarbjeet, but then also if you could give some advice to some of the founders listening that may be getting ready for funding rounds or getting ready for their pitches or what have you. So share some advice if you would. Yeah, it's, it's a, your question, two questions that are there sort of flip side of the coin, if you will. Yeah, sure. So when, as an investor, you're, you're looking, the, the number one thing you're looking for is the team. And then second is the number after that is the idea. You know, of course, the idea is important as well, uh, or their business model and all that stuff. But my team, because t- if a, a, a good team can pivot on ideas, right? A bad team with good idea is not a good thing uh, mm. for, for investment because they, they will be stubborn. They will not pivot. And um, yeah, so you want to make sure that people are driven. They are passionate about solving a problem. They are not like get rich quick kind of they're not in it to just think like i'll make millions of dollars and you know retire or something or right do something else with it so you want people who think long term and they they are there to solve the problem and many times you, you want to uh, invest in people who have had that problem themselves or so their proximity to the problem is very very uh, close if you are they were in the close proximity of the problem if you will mm-hmm. so that's the that's the main thing and we can talk about other factors some other time but um that's that's the top of thing the sort of decision key making. priority uh, yeah yeah gotcha. yeah team idea and timing is important as well so those three things there but on the on the other side when you are a founder right uh, the key is you want most probably you should get a co-founder is lone person is they have a handicap we all have our blind spots and you should get somebody to work with you you know and then it because it, it will kill your blind spots number one number two is like when you go for um, investment dollars many times these startups do and they will take you seriously uh, it's it's hard to fund the loan founders um, and when you're seeking money, try to seek the smart money rather than just plain money, you know? So try to go to people who can add value to your um, operations. They know ins and outs of your domain, your vertical, what uh, area you are in. So try to get the smart money, uh, even if it's a little more expensive. Before you get the smart money, make sure you have some advisors on, on your side from that industry, what you're trying to work in. That goes a long way, actually. And you can uh, master the art, actually master the art of ask. You can get some good advisors on, on your side. For example, if you're in media and entertainment, doing a startup in media and entertainment, streaming or something, get somebody from Hollywood, you know, like, um, <laughs> like you know, seriously, you can, you can, you can just right. ask like, hey, uh, can you give us like a, you know, five hours a month or two hours every month? We're gonna pick your brain and we'll highlight you, and then we we value you, and then give them some part of the company, some shares, some something they need to. And and if you don't know them directly, you know, try to find out a way to get to them somehow. So I think you want to. It's not that you want celebrities in there or something. It's not like that. You want the know-how of that industry, like you know the gachos, you know the deep down people who have who have done work in that industry. Right. Uh, you want that, you know, because without that, you will be kind of shooting in the dark. Kind of thing. Yes, I love that. To recap, two two key points I heard there. Number one, don't just take money. Be very deliberate of, of finding the smart money, folks. That yeah. Don't only bring the the financial wherewithal to the table, but the know-how the value, coaching, mentoring, skill sets, you name it. And then the second thing that I heard you say there, Sarbjeet, that I love is be bold. You know, yeah. if there's a, a big name, small name, all points in between, that is a bona fide and dem, a demonstrative leader in what you're doing, 
reach out, you know, get creative yeah. of how you can bring that individual into the fold to help you move faster and more successful. So I love that bold and fearless Sarbjeet. Yeah. And, and let me add you two more things, which are, I think actually yeah, this is my, one of my areas where I'm very passionate about, you can tell me. <laughs> so one is the, that you need a launch pad, as I said earlier, you can build anything anywhere, but to launch it, you need certain, certain things in place, right? So don't shy away from incubators or industry consortiums and stuff like that. You know, don't, don't, don't be afraid of, of just giving piece of the pie or spending some money to belong to a bigger sort of platform, which will, will highlight you, uh, which will, which can make you grow. Like, you know, um, let's say if not hundred exit 10 X faster rate, then what you will grow otherwise. Right. right. So I think that's very important. So, um, that's a big point. And, uh, and sometimes and, and, resources are right up under your nose, right? Exactly. And then B2B and B2C, uh, two, they are two different animals when you, when we are talking about the startups, right? Especially from go to market strategy point of view, which is very important. Go to market strategy is super important. Uh, especially both for both B2C and B2B, but especially for B, B2B, perhaps I'm biased there because I work in that sort of environment. Like I have, I have lived that world. Like um, it's different, how, there are different techniques to go to market. In B2B, there's a vendor size sort of um, uh, concern or objection when you're trying to sell something to a company, especially if you're in high tech B2B the people will not entertain you like why will i buy some key component of my system from you you can go bust tomorrow financially and what will i do right so the vendor size matters so for that reason you know you have to have some partners around you um, and alliances uh, and many times you have to posture your yourself like it's like you know dating you know when young right. people are dating let's say okay well, young or old <laughs> doesn't matter so they're dating and then they you know they dress up they go to clubs and you have to posture yourself in a way that you attract other partners and and other alliances uh, mm. towards you and because that will give you the muscle power to so, so that you can kill that uh objection of the vendor size and those were that. that two other things i wanted to add sorry sorry i'm very very well Elaborate and I just can't stop talking. So no, it's good. This is this is great <laughs> insights, and it's not one size. It's never one size fits all. Never yeah, one size fits all, and I think it's really important. And and um and don't fool yourself. You can't fool yourself. Uh, you know, uh, you're only going to stunt the growth of your startup, or you know, waste a lot of people's time, money, uh, heartache, and and then some. So I, I love that advice. I want to um as we start to wind down our conversation with. Sarbjeet here. One of my favorite questions to ask, you know, we learn so much. So we have so many eureka moments these days, always they're, they're timeless, but gosh, in this current age we're getting through, you know, you can have a, a eureka moment you know, every day, every hour sometimes, but all of that aside, whether it's a, a timeless eureka moment for you or, or a more current one, give us, um, share something that you have that really hits you and, and made you pause for a second and have that epiphany. Yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, I mean, I mean, I wish I could ask this question from so many people I know, and I can learn a lot. So, um, yeah, for me, actually, one of the things which I recently, not not very recently, like almost a year back, which is very recent, knowing my 10 year age, is that um, I, I, I find out that the markets are function function of information, you know, I in the beginning, when I was younger, as I started as a coder, you know, writing software, right? Yep. Um, my career, right? When I moved to US in 94, um, even though I was an economics major, I started coding and just taught a lot of code and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. But then I did not appreciate marketing. I, I thought marketing people are fluffy and they're just polishing things and fooling people, blah, blah, blah. But I think marketing is, is, a, is marketing and PR are very important function of a modern organization. Um, you have to tell your story. You have to tell why you're doing what you're doing, right? So um, you have to put that information out there. Only then people will value your brand, 
when I say brand, that, that can be product brand and or it can be the company brand. It can be even personal brand as well. They will value you, your brand more based upon the information you give them. And in that epiphany moment, actually, I got that recently when I was watching an MIT class, by the way, uh, through the viewers who are watching um, any lifelong learners, which most of you are, that's why you're watching this when you're watching this. Mm. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, open courseware from MIT and Harvard and uh, and 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 Stanford and all other universities like um, um, good schools, if you will. The top-notch teachers are teaching that. Um, for example, Gary Gensler, who was SEC chairman, he taught the crypto at uh, um, uh, MIT hmm. for many years. Uh, so you can learn a lot from there. So I was watching this MIT class lecture on financials, right? Uh, how the financial industries are formed and blah, blah, blah. What are the bases behind all these markets, how the markets are made? Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm an economics junkie, you can tell, right? So I was, I was listening to that and then that hit me. That professor gave an example um, uh, in the class to the students who were just starting fresh, you know, it was first or second lecture of the, that, that class. Man, that hit me very hard. You know, markets are function of information. Mm. So if I just give me, let me give you, give you an example of what he yeah. did. So he wrapped, like, let, let's say, okay. <laughs> okay. I have something in this package and I will sell it to you. You tell me how much you will pay for this. Okay. I will decide if I want to sell it to you. Like, how will you determine the price of this, right? You're guessing. Right. You're guessing, I have no information. Right? I'm missing information. You need, some, right? you need some more information, right? So if I, if I, people guess many times, you know, especially when you're investing in the stock market and all that stuff, you have less information there. And information has liquidity like money does and all this stuff. Like we can go into that philosophy talks. But once, if I tell you there's some electronic item in there, you have some information. If I tell you there's a smartphone in there, you have some more information. Right. But if I tell you, like, you still don't have enough information to price it properly. If I tell you it's iPhone, you have more information, right? If I tell you it's iPhone 12 or whatever, <laughs> then you have more information. If I tell you it's iPhone 12, I mean, 120 um, gigs or something, like, you have more. So they, what I'm trying to say is, like, more information you put out there about what you do, and also why you do it, like you can say, okay, it's a very well-designed product. So all these things, they matter. They, it's, these are pieces of uh, data which hit you here and, and make, help you make decisions. And, and last time I checked, humans are still making the buying decisions, not machines. <laughs> last time I checked too. I love that, <laughs> Sarbjeet. Uh, now, who knows, a couple of years from now, we'll have to revisit it. But no, they, um, they do sometimes like they're in, in the supply chain management, like the automated supply chain management and all that stuff. But 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 when it, when it comes to strategic decisions, um, there's still a lot left to the humans. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of human led negotiation, value yes. perception, value framing and positioning uh, and the art of the deal for sure. So, Sarbjeet, I, I really I love spending time with you. Uh, I like, Same here. I like, you know, you're thinking on a different plane. So many folks can, can learn so much from you. So I appreciate you touching today on digital transformation on startup world and, and some of the things that founders should be thinking about some of the folks, some of the things that investors should be thinking about, frankly, of course, the Eureka moment, and then going all the way back to the beginning of the interview, I really enjoyed you sharing, uh, on, on your upbringing and some of those special moments and special learnings, uh, from, uh, your time there with your mother and your father and your aunt from Birmingham, England, uh, back in India. Um, all right. So let's, let's, let's wrap here. Let's make sure folks know how to connect and, and be able to compare notes with you, Sarbjeet. So how can folks connect with you? I sort of live on Twitter. Uh, I spilled my gut there. I'm very active there. I'm very responsive there as well. Uh, there's no tweet thrown at me. I will like not reply to you. So, and you can DM me. Uh, pick my brain to the students of the world, the researchers of the world. I, I talk to them uh, from like very frequently, uh, and I, I love collaborating with people. I love the hustlers, people who take risks, and um, I, I love your work. By the way, on that note, and thank you, and, and you're hustling. You're you're doing great work. Uh, I really appreciate it from the bottom of my my heart. It's not because we are doing this interview. No, even otherwise, 
I think I've told you even before we spoke that uh, you come across a very humble and very uh, relatable. No, yeah, I. We're putting like, human. Anytime that you put something there, I want to listen to it. You know, <laughs> well, then thank I you. Bookmark it, and then I, when I'm running, I'm listening to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, you're a great partner in business as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for all those kind remarks. And, and I agree. Greg's been a, a wonderful Greg and Amanda and Clay and, and the whole team have been yeah, a, a big parts of the journey. But, you know, we, we are trying to put the human back in humanity. And, and now yes, yeah. more than ever before, we really need it. So, um, but it's all about the kindred spirits and folks, your, um, you know, the camaraderie and the fellowship as, as we all are on this journey together, different chapters different storms, you know, but we're all in it together. And so I really admire a lot of what you do, um, how you share that knowledge, your constant engagement, and uh, what you've shared here on this interview with me. So, all right. So folks, make sure you connect with Sarbjeet. Connect with him on social. Is there a website that you want to connect, uh, direct people to? We'll put it all in the show notes, by the way, Sarbjeet. Is there for folks to find out more about the battery or anything else you do? Anyone else, anywhere else you want to point people to? Yeah, but you go to Battery if you're doing startup in the in the Bay Area. Um, I'm I'm not very you know married to any particular incubator, including mine. Yep. Try the try the other one. Try to get into Y Combinator. Try 500 startups. But for when you want to pick my brain or, or see what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and who I'm related related to in in business world and tech world, you know, look at my LinkedIn. I have a website called sjoel.com, um, and my email is sjoel at sjoel.com. Uh, you can email me there. So, um, yeah, uh, you, I mean, like, if you want to talk to me, I don't think you, you can miss <laughs> They can me. find you. If, if, <laughs> like, you can, you can find me. Actually, it's always, like, people, if you really want to talk to anybody, you can find them, believe That's me. That's right. I think you can. If well, we're going to make it really them. easy. We're going to put all of that into the, the show notes <laughs> one click away. Uh, always a pleasure to chat and catch up and learn from Sarbjeet Jahal and Sarbjeet will be back in touch again really soon. So to our listeners though, hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I feel like I've earned a, some kind of degree here, even more important than on paper, a, a real life degree from my conversation with Sarbjeet. So hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I have. Of course, if you enjoy this, check us out supply chain now, wherever you get your podcast from click subscribe. So you don't miss a single conversation. But most importantly here today, other than what Sarbjeet has shared, which is, is pure gold, I'm signing off now on behalf of our entire team. Most important, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.